Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have audio from our service on October 16th. This is part six of a series we've been in looking at rest in the spiritual life. Today's message is entitled, Slow Down and Pay Attention. I wanted to thank everybody who showed up last night to Fall for Art in downtown Covington, our block party. Well, we had a great time. Lots of folks out, lots of fun music, lots of great art shown. Uh, I think we're going to do it again. And just an announcement, we won't be having our regular service this coming week. We are canceling both the services and moving everything down to the Bogafly Park, about three blocks from the church. We're going to have a chili cook-off, we're having a jambalaya and white beans, live music, and just a lot of hanging out and having fun with family and friends. So, be sure to check out that, bring some friends, bring uh, anybody over. Alright, hope to see you there. Let's head to downtown Covington, North Shore Vineyard for the talk. Slow down, pay attention. Some smack talking going on, man, I tell you. It's cool in this church because Paul, the guy who played bass, he's from New York, so he's, he does chili at his deli on the South Shore, Empire State, so we're going to get some, some New York chili, if anybody heard of such a thing. <laughs> some Chicago chili, um, yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. And how many of y'all came out last night to the, the Fall for Art Black Party? That was fun, huh? I'm telling you. Nobody can accuse our church of not knowing how to party here. Uh, we, we got that down. We may be lacking in other areas, but we know how to have a good time. If, if you weren't here, it was uh, really great. We, this, this whole place, we, some of the artists, fortunately, actually some of these artists are letting us keep their paintings up here indefinitely. So uh, that's cool. That's better than World Market, where I get most of our stuff. So, uh, but this, this whole room was transformed into a complete art gallery. We probably had seven or eight different artists, uh, lots of amazing, just really great artists here. And then we set up the band out there, and we jammed out. And then down at the children's area, we had uh, folks doing duct tape fashions and ninja paintings. Ninja paintings are awesome. What other church can you do ninja paintings? That's all I got to say. So anyway, next week we're going to be at the park. We're going to be cooking some chili. I got my friend Jimmy Jam Bordelon from Gonzales, I think pretty much the jambalaya capital of the world. And he's coming in specifically to do jambalaya and white beans. And uh, oh, by the way, welcome back, Terry. I, did, did I see you walk in today? Man, awesome. Terry had a motorcycle accident three months ago, four months ago? June. June. Wow. It's the first time back in church. That's awesome to see you. <laughs> well, we miss you. That, that's awesome. That was a weak clap, though. That's good. <laughs> uh, so, no doubt... With all of this is like you know we're we're happy it's it's October here we're we're taking we're, we're trying to be good stewards of October by having fun and uh, no doubt there are some people that are going to say why are you canceling your church service to eat chili and to that I just have to say that that you don't realize that chili is a spiritual thing 
Can I get an amen? Can I get a preach it? Uh, jambalaya is a spiritual thing. And, and to, to, to make my case, I'm going to do something I, I never recommend preachers of the word to do. I'm, I've picked out a bunch of scriptures to back up my, my agenda today. Uh, but suffer with me for a few minutes. At least I've warned you. Um, uh, I want to look at some passages about sharing food together and encountering God. Because those, yeah, I, I like that. I like that idea. And, and actually, we see it all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I want to look at a few passages. Genesis 18, 1 through 8. This is a cool story. God appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre when he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. It was the hottest part of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing, supposedly God and a couple of angels maybe. He ran from his tent to greet them and bowed before them. He said, Master, if it please you, stop for a while with your servant. I'll get some water so you can wash your feet. Rest under this tree. I'll get some food to refresh you on your way since your travels have brought you across my path. And they said, certainly, go ahead. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Hurry, get three cups of our best flour, knead it, and make bread. Then Abraham ran to the cattle pen and picked out a nice plump calf and gave it to the servant who lost no time getting it ready. Then he got curds and milk and brought them with the calf that had been roasted, set the meal before the men, and stood there under the tree while they ate. This is my scriptural backing that God likes barbecue. It's right there in the Old Testament. If anybody wants to take issue, we preach the word today. Uh, I love this passage for a few reasons. Um, Abraham is known in the Old Testament as a friend of God. And obviously when God shows up, Abraham bows down in, in worship towards God. But what's his first inclination after that? Let's eat. I got I to gotta, I gotta cook something for God. So he gets the best calf out. And he has him go barbecue it. He gets his wife to make some bread, you know, put some cheese and milk together and, and, and just stands by and, and, you know, watches God enjoy his barbecue. How cool is that? That's just, I don't know. I don't know where to go with that passage, but I, I just think it's, it's pretty cool that Abraham would cook barbecue for God and that God would eat it. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but... <laughs> <laughs> we also find that, that once the Old Testament law comes, some 430-something years after Abraham and, and, and God have, have started the Old Covenant, when, when the Old Testament law comes to Moses, God actually institutes, as part of the Old Testament law, you know, not just the Ten Commandments and circumcision and Sabbath-keeping, but one of the laws that God tells them is that they have to party five times a year. Like, they have to celebrate festivals five times. That's part of their calendar is that they would get together and they would share a meal together and they would remember what God had done. That's pretty cool. What does this tell us about this God that we serve? I think that's, I, I, I think that's pretty cool. Another story, it's, it's one thing to, to cook barbecue for God, but how about fish tacos with Jesus? John 21. <laughs> John 21, this is a little story about the disciples a few days after Jesus has resurrected. Now, the, the, the climate for the disciples, they're all a little bit bummed out, particularly one guy named Peter. Peter had ran his mouth quite a bit. He, he thought he was a little bit more courageous uh, than actually it turned out to be in the moment. And so Peter 
was obviously feeling a little bit depressed and dejected. And so what, what would you do in Louisiana as a guy if you're feeling depressed and dejected? Go fishing. Go fishing. Yes. Yeah, so that's kind of <laughs> what happens here. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples, this time at the Tiberias Sea, the Sea of Galilee, uh, and this is how he did it. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the brothers Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter announced, I'm going fishing. The rest of them replied, we're going with you. So they went out and got in the boat, and they caught nothing that night. Now, I think the only thing worse than being depressed and bummed out <laughs> is to spend all night fishing, and you don't catch anything. That's just, uh, it's, it's just going from bad to worse. <laughs> Smoking like a true fisherman. So, uh, yeah. When the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. And Jesus spoke to them, good morning, did you catch anything for breakfast? They answered no. And he said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and see what happens. They did what he said, and all of a sudden there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Then the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the master. And when Simon Peter realized that it was the master, he threw on some clothes, for he was stripped for work, and dove into the sea. The other disciples came in by boat, and they weren't far from land, a hundred yards or so, pulling along the net full of fish. And when they got out of the boat, they saw a fire with fish and bread cooking on it. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter joined them and pulled the net to shore. 153 big fish. And even with all those fish, the net didn't rip. I, I love this story about Jesus. It's kind of like that story back in, in Genesis 18. Like, Jesus has, has overcome death. He's resurrected from the grave. And you think there's all kinds of important things that Jesus ought to get about doing. And what does he do? He goes makes a fire and cooks breakfast for his disciples. And it's, it's around this fireside meal of fish tacos, I like to think, uh, that Jesus actually restores Peter. It's a, it's a turning point in Peter's life. Peter has had this moment of self-awareness, realizing he ain't all that his, you know, he, he was writing checks with his mouth that his butt couldn't cash. And he, he realizes that he, he's not the superhero he thought himself to be. And in that moment, around the fire, Jesus says, look, you know, he, he, he pulls him back into ministry. He reconciles him. He forgives him. That was a turning point in Peter's life. So I, I, I use a few of these things, not just to, to come up with a theology to support our practices next week, but that many times it's those times around the table. Actually, do, do you realize the Lord's Supper, the communion that we, we celebrate quite often around here? We were going to try to do it today, just had a whole lot of things going on, but maybe next week. Uh, but communion, the Eucharist, that was given in the context of Jesus and the disciples having a meal together. There are these times where God shows up around our conversations. You know, we, we, I think we, we often expect for God to show up when we pray for someone. Uh, that's acceptable. We kind of think, yeah, God's going to show up when we're praying with him. Or, or, or sometimes we expect God to show up when we're reading the Bible. But how many times do we expect God to show up right around the dinner table, 
Actually, if you've been a part of Alpha, you might have noticed God showing up already around the dinner table. That's kind of intentional. But I want to move from this to, an, to another story of, a, of another uh, two ladies who had Jesus over to their house for dinner. Luke 10. Jesus entered a vi- village. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master, hanging on every word he said. But Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting them. Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. The master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course and won't be taken from her. Here's one last story of having Jesus over for dinner. But there's two ways to go about that. There's two ways to go about uh, Jesus and dinner. One is to be distracted. One is to be paying attention to what Jesus is doing. Now, when I read this story, I I can't help but sympathize with Martha because I kind of get in that realm quite a bit myself. I want to read a quote from a guy named Henry Nowen. He wrote one of my favorite books called Reaching Out. Uh, He says this, As long as our minds hearts, and hands are occupied, we can avoid confronting the painful questions to which we never gave much attention and which we don't want to surface. Being busy has become the new status symbol, and most people keep encouraging each other to keep their body and mind in constant motion. But by filling up every empty corner and occupying every empty time, their hospitality becomes more oppressive than revealing. I read that, I think of, that, that's Martha. Uh, she's, she's, she's being hospitable, but her hospitality is really more oppressive than revealing. You know, when, when, when you're actually at ease, when you're hosting people at your house, you ever notice how in the midst of a conversation, they reveal things about themselves? You, re, you walk away enriched in your soul because everybody's kind of revealed themselves. But when you're in that Martha mode, you're, you're, you're not paying attention to that. <laughs> you're distracted. Now, I love... I love having people over for dinner, and I'm, I'm kind of weird. A lot of people, they like to pair wine with certain kinds of dishes. I'm real weird about, like, pairing music with, with things. <laughs> so, like, even for the fall for art thing, I, I, I stayed up, like, way past my bedtime the other night for, like, two hours crafting an iTunes playlist for this event. Four hours worth of music to play in here, and I didn't even end up using it. <laughs> <laughs> And when, when I have friends over for dinner, I think, what would go good with barbecue? Or, or what would go good with this particular Italian dish? And I, I want the music, I want the atmosphere to be right. And then when it comes time to, to get the ingredients and, and put everything together, man, I like getting, I, I, I like the whole process of it. But I've noticed there's been some times where I've had people over for dinner, I get so worried about everything being perfect and the atmosphere, the, the food, the music, and all that, that I miss the point of why they came over, <laughs> I didn't enjoy the food. I didn't enjoy the company because I was too distracted. And this is where Martha is. Jesus is in her house. She's distracted. 
Actually, she tries to get Jesus on her side. It, it seems like the obvious thing. I'm serving the Lord here. I'm doing work for Jesus. I'm trying to host Jesus. I'm doing my best. Jesus, a little help in here? You want to tell Martha to get off her lazy butt and come serve you with me? And she's expecting Jesus to, to be on her side. <laughs> and Jesus rebukes her. He said, let me, let me fill you in on something, Martha. Mary has already had the main course tonight. <laughs> She already got the, the meat of this whole evening. You, you know, you're going to eat a meal. The meal might be good. But Mary got something that, that will last longer than your meal. Henry Nouwen goes on to write. He says, we indeed have become very preoccupied people, afraid of unnameable emptiness and silent solitude. In fact, our preoccupations prevent us from having new experiences And keep us hanging on to the familiar ways. Preoccupations are our fearful ways of keeping things the same. Our preoccupations help us to maintain the personal world we have created over the years. And block the way to revolutionary change. Our fears, uncertainties, and hostilities make us fill our inner world with ideas, opinions, judgments, and values to which we cling to as precious property. Instead of facing the challenge of new worlds opening themselves for us and struggling in the open field, we hide behind the walls of our concerns, holding on to the familiar life items we've collected in the past. See, what Henry Nouwen's getting at here is that many times it's our busyness that keeps us from real change. It kind of gives us the illusion of changing sometimes. Things must be getting better because I'm, I'm busy. I'm doing stuff. I'm, I'm always going. But, but he's saying, actually, sometimes our busyness insulates us from having to deal with the junk on the inside. You ever noticed that before? You know, I, I spent an awful lot of time in college. I should have graduated. You know, I, I had enough hours to become a doctor. <laughs> I really did. I, I was like six years, six and a half years in college. And I came away with a history degree <laughs> and a lot of other electives and a lot of other things uh, that, you know, so I'm, I'm okay at Trivial Pursuit. Uh, but I got, I found when I was in college, I kind of got into this rut in my life because I was, I was, my whole life was built around the college schedule. And what's that? You, you, the, the fall starts and, and gradually it begins to ramp up. You hit midterms and then from midterms to finals, it's like your life starts getting more and more chaotic. And then by the time it's over, you're like burned out, stressed out, you're tired. And then you get the Christmas break, six weeks of nothing. <laughs> and I got to tell you that six weeks of nothing became really the most depressing time in my life. I mean, I can understand why Christmas is depressing. That's usually when I was getting depressed. But why was it depressing? Because all of a sudden, all the things that kept me distracted from the junk on the inside, they weren't there. All of a sudden, it was just me. And I remember sitting there sometimes feeling so lonely, so anxious, so afraid of the stuff on the inside. And so I'd quickly find something to occupy my time. See... When we're afraid of the quietness, when we're afraid to slow down, even our hospitality will become oppressive. <laughs> we'll start getting resentful. I've been like Martha before. Like, you know, I'm serving the Lord. I'm up at the church all the time. I'm my, Jesus, you mind tell, you know, putting these other people in line? Heck, I'm a pastor. I, get, you know, I, I can tell people that from the front and make them feel guilty. You know, I'm the one up here all the time. <laughs> I'm praying. I, whatever, you know. 
I'm serving the Lord. What about you? You know. But when I get into those moments, a lot of times it's because I'm afraid of, of, of really dealing with the junk in my own heart. And it starts seeping out. <laughs> it, it, it starts leaking out when I'm talking. This resentfulness. Mary is getting the main course in the living room with Jesus. And that won't be taken away from her. A few years ago, my dad gave me a book called In Praise of Slowness. It was written by this guy, Carl Honoré, or something. He's from Canada. Don't hold that against him. Um, and he's a journalist. And he, he realized in his mid-30s one time that he was just really a speedaholic. Not like speed the drug, but just like always going, always going. Like he was just addicted to that. And one day he had an epiphany when he was in the airport. He was uh, standing at one of these little shops in the airport and he saw an advertisement for one-minute children's stories. And he's like, yes, this is amazing. This is like the best invention ever, a one-minute children's story. Because he had realized, you know, with his three-year-old daughter, it's like, oh, you know, sometimes you tell them one story and then they want to hear the story again and then again and maybe two or three stories. And, and he always had work to do at night. And so it was just children's stories had become a bummer. So he thought, a one-minute children, this is my ticket out of here. But then after a little bit of reflection, he realized, what kind of sick person am I that I would want to spend? (laughs) Why, why, how out of control has my life gotten that I don't want to spend more than one minute with my child at night before I get back on the computer and start working on myself? So he has this kind of epiphany and begins really trying to, to research about slowing down. And he actually came across a whole movement of people in the world called the slow movement. Has anybody heard of the slow movement? There's actually a, a movement, the, the slowness movement. I mean, it's, it's catching on very slowly, but uh, <laughs> that really wasn't that great. I know. It, it, yeah. Uh, but people who are really just saying, you know, like, Maybe just going all the time isn't, isn't the best thing. And he actually found that there's a, a group that started, you know, a movement in Italy called the Slow Foods Movement. Anybody heard of the Slow Foods? It, it, and it's a reaction against fast food. Not that fast food is like evil or whatever. Um, but the idea is what, what does fast food represent in our world? You, you, you eat, well, besides burgers. Uh, Hurry, yeah, <laughs> I thought you said burgers. Hurry, yeah, you eat fast food because you don't have time to sit down and eat a meal, right? So you eat it between one meeting and the next. I got to cram in some McDonald's uh, between these two meetings. Or it's taking the kids from school to their practice. Let's hit Wendy's. And everybody orders their own individual meal and they eat it in their own individual space and there's no conversation, maybe listening to the radio, maybe something else like that. But fast food has really come to, to, to represent our lack of connection with one another, our isolation, our, 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 our alienation. And so this group of people, they started doing slow foods. And what's slow food? Well, it's you know, taking time to get ingredients, taking time to prepare the meal, inviting people over, sharing the meal with people, and and trying to do something that enriches not only your body, but your soul. I'm kind of a big fan of that. This last week, I got to take, me and Dina got to do a little three-day vacation in Alabama, and uh, some friends of ours got us a, reserved us a, a dinner at this 
nice restaurant the other night. And I'm telling you what, me and Dina, we weren't trying to hurry through that thing. We, we sat down in this place, and, and we, we ordered some appetizers. I got shrimp and grits. Oh. And I tell you, I wasn't shoving whole shrimp in my mouth, man. I was, I was taking my knife, and I was cutting off little bitty pieces. <laughs> I just, I'd suck on that, mm, well, that's good. <laughs> and then, you know, we, we weren't in a hurry to get to the main course either, and the main course gets out. You know, it's not like we were sitting there going, I can't believe we ordered this 10 minutes ago. Why isn't it out there yet, you know? And we're like, just slowing down. We eat the main course, and then, you know, we got done with that. We had a piece of this pecan pie that was just, oh, man, it was great. We slowed down. And it was good. And when we left, you know, what was, what was even better than the food is that we remembered our story. We remembered that God had something he was doing with me and her, you know. And, and we talked about that. And we talked about you know, just things. So we walked away with a good taste in our mouth. But more than that, there was something good in here, something that sustained us. My dad, years ago, he told me of a, of a saying he came across down in... Uh, Central America, when he was on a trip down there. If you hurry, you'll get there in a day. If you take your time, you'll get there in a couple of hours. <laughs> this particular region he was in, they had a lot of these jungle mountain roads that were just awful. And if you try to go fast on them, it, it's, you just, it's going to screw you up. So, but if you go slow, you'll get there all right. And I can't help but wonder if there's maybe some wisdom in this for, for our own lives. Sometimes we, we think by hurrying, by being busy, by always going, that, that we're going to get the things we truly want quicker. And yet, what do we find? That the things that truly matter to us get further and further away, the busier we get. A friend of mine, does anybody know the name Dave Brubeck? He's a jazz composer. He wrote a song. Let's see. Take five. Yes. A song written in a weird time signature. He was famous for that. But I was reading about him the other day. A, a, a friend of mine a few years ago saw Dave Brubeck at Jazz Fest. And he was like 87 years old when he came out there. 87 years old. And he said the guy actually had to have a couple of people walk him out there like <laughs> he's that decrepit at this point in his life <laughs> decrepit <laughs> okay you get the picture though <laughs> he was frail yes <laughs> so he had to have these two guys kind of walk him out there, and he, he finally sits down at the piano. But they said as soon as he sits down at the piano, the dude just comes alive. And it's, it's like you were seeing him 60 years ago. He was enjoying playing music as much as he ever enjoyed it. And, and I was looking, at, I was reading some stuff about him the other day. The guy's like done like probably 100 albums in his life. He's written symphonies. He's, he's done, played with jazz musicians all over the world he's he's just not only a great musician but a great composer and he's 90 years old now and he's still going at it and when i when i think of him i i know as a songwriter myself i've mentioned this before you don't write songs when you're busy (laughs) 
You don't do art when you're busy. <laughs> you don't cook good meals <laughs> when you're busy. There's a certain amount of dialing down and getting quiet and getting deliberate. A certain slowing down and paying attention. And, and what I see with Dave Brubeck, by, by the way, he's a devout Christian. He, he, he's actually written many things inspired by God and the Ten Commandments and the, the things like that. And when I, when I see that, I, I, I believe the only reason he's where he's at at 90 years old, you know, still having to have people carry him out there, but still loving every moment he sits down at the piano, it's because he's learned something about slowing down, paying attention. He's learned to, that if he slows down, he'll get there quicker. I have one passage to put up on the screen today. I was kind of slacking this week. I'll... Matthew six thirty three through 34. It's from the message translation. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what, you may, what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. I love that. Steep your life in God reality. What's that word steep remind you of? Tea. tea. Yeah, that's the first word I think. It's like being a tea bag, just soaking up where God is. That's a beautiful picture. Now, I don't know how much you guys have got out of this series on rest that we've been in in recent weeks, but I've got a lot out of it, so I'm not going to do a poll. But uh, <laughs> I found that just by talking through these things, talking about simplifying life, talking about getting quiet, you know, solitude, by cutting out distractions, I found that I've been paying more attention to God lately. I don't know if anybody else, else has experienced that, but I found that, you know, I've I've... Instead of just rushing through the day, I'm stepping aside many times in the day. Like if I got to go to a meeting, and I go to a lot of meetings in my job, before I go to the meeting, I say, God, what are you doing? <laughs> Let me get quiet. Let me not go in with my agenda. Let me get quiet and pay attention to what you're doing. What are you up to? When I go to get my hair cut. <laughs> God, what are you doing in this situation? I found a few times recently, God's put stuff on my heart to go do, and I got to actually be a part of God blessing people. I got to actually participate in what God was doing. Now, I got to tell you, that's not always the case in my life, and I don't think it's because God isn't speaking. I like to think God's always speaking, kind of like a radio station. There's these things that we used to call radios. And if you had one in a car used to, they had these, these things called knobs on them. Anybody remember this? And, and like if, if the knob wasn't dialed into the station, you heard, you know, static. And I, I believe that's kind of the way it is for us. We're, our, our default mode is static. You know, we're, we're just, we've got noise, distractions, everything. But... Learning to step aside, slow down, and pay attention to God, it's like tuning into that channel 
and beginning to hear God doing. Now, you may sound, what does that sound like? Well, you know, I mean, God's asked me to do it. I, I, I mean, I don't want to sound like a crazy person that hears weird stuff, but I, I just want to say, if I feel any, when I, when I get quiet and I ask God to speak to me and I say, God, what are you doing? And God puts a good thought for me to do something good for some other person. I mean, whether it's God or not, I just try to go with the good thought and bless somebody. But a lot of times I find, that, yeah, that was God's nudging me. So when I say God talking to you, I'm not saying it's like, Crispin, <laughs> go thou forth, do this. I'm just saying, getting quiet, slowing down, and you can do this. Uh, believe me, your world is not going to get a lot simpler. We have talked about ways to simplify our lives, and, and hopefully we're, we're considering some of those possibilities now. But I understand that regardless of how much you simplify your life, the world's not getting any more simple, is it? You know, our world isn't getting any less distracted or less busy. So we, that's kind of the world we got to live in. But we can live in this world in a, in a profoundly different way than everybody else. We can live caught up in the busyness of this world, or we can step into things and say, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? This, this, I'm going to have lunch with a friend. What are you doing? Would you give me some wisdom on this situation? Is there anything you want to say? Any kind of way I can encourage my friend? I found just a little prayer like that has gone a long way in a lot of relationships lately. But it takes some intentionality to slow down, to pay attention. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. See, when we're living this kind of, uh, these words, it doesn't mean that you don't have anxieties. It doesn't mean that you don't have fears. It doesn't mean that you, you, you don't have loneliness or whatever when things get quiet. But you're realizing that even when it gets quiet and I feel alone, I'm not alone. It's just like that song faith sang this morning you'll always be right by my side god sometimes i feel alone sometimes i feel depressed but but i know the reality is i'm not alone i I know that there's nothing that separates me from your love i know that you've torn down every barrier you begin steeping yourself in that reality see it's not that god wants to ignore those things on the inside he wants to meet with you in those places And that'll work its way out even into your hospitality, into your relationships. So this morning, I just want to close with something that may feel a little awkward. I just want to close by getting quiet before the Lord for a minute, all right? Just close our eyes and just let's just slow down here for a a few minutes. Come, Holy Spirit.
you, Lord. God, we thank you that you are near to us right now, Lord. We thank you that nothing separates us from you, God. Lord, this morning we want to bring you all of our distractions, our anxieties, our fears about the future, our fears about other people. Lord, even the distractions from maybe doing good things, serving you. We give these things to you this morning, Lord. Lord, we want to step out of the kitchen, so to speak, and sit in the living room with you. I pray a blessing upon everyone here today, God, that this week you would give us the grace to turn towards you. Lord, the grace to, to, to be aware that, that we don't have to just keep going with uh, the busyness and the distractions around us, God, but that we could even just stop before we go into class, before we go into meeting. Lord, before we hang out with our kids, whatever, Lord, we could stop, slow down, and pay attention to you. Give us the grace to do this, Lord. And God, this morning, I just pray for, for your peace that's bigger than our understanding to settle upon people's hearts today, God. Those who are just wrestling with um, all kinds of fears about the future, God. Peace. Peace be still. Lord, we welcome your spirit into our lives. Be the wind in our cells this week, God. Be the, be the one that empowers us. Let us be driven not by our own selfishness, not by our own needs, not by our own fears, God, but let us be empowered by your love, your life, your spirit. Thank you.